Well, this morning we're looking at the next value in our series as a family of Christ followers who together love God and love one another. And appreciate all the words that have already come that way. We can almost have the shortest preach because we can go just listen to what God's already said. But, but in some ways, stating that we value loving God and loving one another is quite simple and obvious, isn't it? You know, how many would say, I want to be part of a church that loves God and loves one another? Well, yes, yes, of course. But I don't know about you, but I find something so simple and obvious in principle can be so challenging and complicated in practice. (laughs) For me, what makes this so complicated is nothing other than it involves my heart. I find that my heart is like the weather. Mainly blue skies with periods of rain, strong winds, dark clouds, thunder and lightning blowing through my heart. It changes all the time. In the storms of my heart, I can struggle to sense God, feel God's love. I can struggle with the feeling that that I'm not sure my heart truly loves God as it should. In In the storms of my heart, they affect my relationships with those around me, my relationship with my wife Ruth, my relationship with those close to me. In the storms of my heart, my prayers can be like David in the Psalms where he says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or like Isaiah, who expressed it by saying, we growl like bears and mourn sadly like doves. I don't know if any of you have felt that way. This just might be a public therapy session for me this morning. Or or, It's good to be able to talk to a whole room about it. (laughs) But, But yet, I am so grateful that in the midst Of all this, my heart can turn to the truth of what Jesus says about his love for me. In John 15, 9, it says this. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Think about that. As great as God the Father's love is for his son Jesus, that perfect love, that's how his love is for you and me. That same measure of love is expressed to us. That's amazing. And that truth echoes throughout the whole Bible. In John 1, 3, it says, See how great the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Romans 5 tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And that verse helps us to understand that the Holy Spirit is not just power and gifts, but the pouring in of God's great and perfect love for us. So the most important thing for us that has already been echoed this morning in what God has shared to us prophetically is that we need to know that it all starts with God's perfect love for us. So Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you right now, by your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your heart, you would pour out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit right now. That even as we're listening to words from your, from your Bible, that by your Spirit, you would work in us and you would pour out your perfect love to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Love in the Bible is more than just a feeling or emotion. 
It's not the world's view of love like the song in the Top Gun, Gun movie. You've lost that loving feeling. It's, it's more than, than feelings or emotions. Biblical love is an action based on choice. It may involve emotions, but actions always follow. And there's no greater example than this, than God's love demonstrated through Jesus dying on the cross. We know the verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in Romans 5.8, it says God shows his love for us, again, demonstrated love, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Can I get a thank you, Lord? (laughs) Yeah. John 15, greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for a friend. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online, you're very welcome as you're listening in. If you do not yet know Jesus, then there's one key thing for you to take away from this this morning is that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. That by receiving him into your heart, that you can have relationship with him. The Bible says he rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And if you'd like to find out more about that, please come and talk to one of us afterwards or or get in touch with us, uh, message us from online. But over the last couple of years, I've, I've really come to value what I call my third office. It's a place at the beginning of a day where I simply sit with a view like this here. And I just simply come and I say to God, here I am, Lord. And just this week, I was in the midst of a bit of a storm in my heart. And all I could do was come before him and say, here I am, Lord. I have no words right now. I just need your love. And maybe for you, it's, it's a walk, or maybe it's while you're running, or, or, or maybe there's a particular chair that you sit in, or, or maybe it's a place that you go that has one of these views, and, and it's just coming before him and saying, I don't know what I need right now, but I know I just need your love right now. And many times I'm learning that in those moments, God first speaks to us in tears. Tears are like the valve that, that, takes, that helps us of all the things that are built up in our hearts. God touches our hearts in moments when there are no words. And it's become so precious to me to know that no matter how my heart is feeling, I can come to him. Sometimes I don't know what to say, and sometimes I don't even think I hear anything of what he's saying. But taking that moment just to come before him and say, here I am, Lord, I just need your love. I find in the rhythm of that, that I, my heart is clearer from that time. I find that it fills my heart with peace. And back in John 15, we, we read earlier that Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. When Jesus says, abide in my love, he doesn't only mean to rest securely knowing, oh yes, I know that God loves me. But he actually means that we actively live in the love he's given to us. My friend Clem would say that God cheats, that he actually, he gives us the love so that we can love him back. As I abide in God's perfect love, my heart becomes full of love for him. And his love, his touch, his tears 
bring the blue skies to our hearts. And sometimes on those stormy days, it might mean reaching out to someone and asking them to pray for us. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Pray for more of his love and then to abide in that love. Kind of like the song we used to sing, here in the grace of God I stand. It's also here in the love of God I stand. And as we bask in the sun lounger of the love of God, there comes a question. Does Jesus require anything of me in this? In Mark 12, a teacher of the law asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? From his perspective, we might think, oh, there's one of 10 commandments. But actually, the Jews actually added 613 more uh, commandments to all those rules that they followed. And he's saying, so which commandment is, is the greatest of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We said it starts with receiving God's perfect love for us. But then Jesus is saying that it's allowing that love to work in all of our hearts, in all of our being. If our hearts are the dwelling place of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, loving the Lord with all our hearts, soul, mind, means that Jesus wants to work in every room of our heart. There was an Aunt Sylvia from Ruth's side of the family that we actually we had to go in and help to clear out her house after she had passed away. And, and trying to clear out the house, we realized that there were rooms that she had stopped going into a long time ago. And sometimes it's like that, like that house that there are no-go rooms. There's storage spaces in our heart. There, there are places that we just kind of stuff things in and close the door that we haven't been to for some time. And I so appreciate a couple weeks ago, Pauline shared a, shared a testimony of how God had graciously been touching and bringing healing to her heart. How she felt the Father's arms around her and giving her assurance. You see, loving God with all our heart is saying to him, Father, my whole heart is open to you. It's receiving God's perfect love for us and then allowing that love to work in all areas of our life, to work in all areas of my life, Because I recognize that if I'm to love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul, that that must mean that sometimes I can be half-hearted in that. And so the things that distract me, Lord, I want to love you with my whole heart and my whole life. So we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and all our strength. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, there's no other commandment greater than these. Jesus is saying that loving God and loving others is of first importance. This sums up every law, every commandment, everything that we should be doing right as a Christian. He says everything lines up to this, that if we do this, love God and love one another, everything else will take care of itself. So not only is it a value today that's obvious for us all, Jesus is considering it's the most important value for us to keep growing in our lives and in the life of us as a church. And in another part of the gospel, someone had heard this from Jesus, and they said, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You may have heard this story before, so I'll just summarize it briefly here. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. And it says then that now by chance, a priest was going by that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds. And he poured on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And I was just this morning, I was thinking of this and thinking about how much of a picture this is of us with Jesus. I don't know if you remember the old song. He goes, he poured in the oil and the wine, the kind that restoreth my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. And he poured in the oil and the wine that many in our lives would have looked past us, looked, looked beyond us. But Jesus had compassion on us and brought healing to our lives and, and mended, took care of us. And Jesus asked of these, he said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. To be a neighbor, according to Jesus, meant to take action, to come alongside another. And you might think, if you think of the priest and the Levite, what they had done in the story, you might think, that's terrible. But even in our culture today, we have to have extra, we have to be extra intentional. We don't follow the same response. A number of years ago, there was a young woman was murdered in Queens, New York. And they found out later that 37 people had saw the murder and didn't call the police. And they went on to call this bypasser apathy, where an individual's likeliness to help decreases when passive bystanders are present in an emergency situation. And sometimes a person sees others around them and and assume that everyone else is taking care of them, but then no one ends up doing it. And in our culture today, we could make wrong assumptions when everyone else, pardon me, make wrong assumptions. Someone else is doing something when we see that someone's in need or we see that someone needs some encouragement. And the Samaritan saw the man, he had compassion, and that compassion moved him to action. We want God's perfect love to work in us, to move us to action of love towards others. So a question you might ask might be this, what actions demonstrate God's love for one another? What demonstrates love for one another? And I came across, as I was reading this week, I came across this online article from a lady named Audrey. And she had this helpful list based on 1 Corinthians 13, that how can we practically show God's love for one another, to one another? 1 Corinthians 13 is a very clear definition of what this kind of love is. It's more than just a popular wedding verse. First of all, it says, love is patient, love is kind. First of all, you love others by encouraging them. When you encourage someone, you give them courage, you give them support and hope. You help them go through their trials and help them move forward. It's sending a card or a text. Or seeing them and seeing someone that might need an encouragement at the end of a service during coffee time. Secondly, love does not envy. We pray for one another. We show God's love by praying for others, praying for friends, and even our enemies. 
And when we lift others up before God, it shows you're thinking about them, care about their needs, and want the best for them. And that's why it's so important when we have our prayer requests that come through, that we send out by different prayer needs, that allows us as a church family to get behind and stand and demonstrate love by standing with people that are in need for God's help. He says, love does not boast, it's not proud. Next, acting humbly towards others. Loving others means putting them above yourself. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of you, but thinking of you less. You can act humbly towards others by listening to them, receiving their help, considering them, and showing interest in them. It says, love does not dishonor others. Being hospitable, number four, being hospitable to everyone. You love like Jesus when you welcome others who are from different races, different political views, and treat them with kindness and respect. And hospitality is opening our lives and opening our homes to others. It's inviting them into our houses and and lives. And some really have a gift of hospitality. You know, they love making food. They love having people around food. And, And that's a lovely way for us to show God's love. And sometimes it might even be going for coffee with somebody and opening our lives and our our conversation with them. But I know for me, it's something that I have to intentionally work at myself. Love is not self-seeking. That means that we serve others with love. To love others is to serve them. You love others when you do things for them without expecting anything in return. And I know that as a church, we have a lovely servant heart. I know that our heart is to wanting to be able to help one another without expecting anything from each other. Things you may not like to do or, or things that will cost or inconvenience us. The Samaritan, he disrupted his plans. He used his own animal and he took his time and his money to be able to make sure this man was taken care of. And when we're serving in the car park or welcoming at the door, we're loving one another. And when we're serving teas or coffees or, or when we're helping in kids' zone, we're loving others. And when we're putting together boxes at the food bank, we're demonstrating love to one another and to the world. It says love is not easily angered. That means we live at peace with one another. Another way we love one another is to live at peace with one another. You can live at peace with others by not saying harmful comments about them or, or provoking them. And when offenses arise, we seek to make peace with either apologizing or forgiving. We were having a bit of a Bible study recently together with a group of folks. And and we came and prayed around this this verse in Romans 15, 5 and 6. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, that together with one voice, glorifying God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, love keeps no record of wrong. And we show love with forgiveness. And when we genuinely love others, we forgive them. We let go of their offenses and choose not to hold it against them. And I think God's challenging me the most in some of those areas. Because when we're dealing with situations, I realize that that love chooses to not be offended when we have a right, when we feel we have a right that we're wronged or hurt. It's making that choice to say, Father, I know that hurts, but Lord, I choose to forgive. I choose not to be offended. It says, love does not rejoice in evil, 
That's not speaking badly of others. You can love others by always speaking well of them and by seasoning your speech about them with love and grace. But love rejoices with the truth. And sometimes showing love to one another is speaking truth to others. Telling them painful truths to one another is an act of love where we know that this might be painful to have to say this, but I just need to tell you, this is the truth. This is what God says. Building them up with the truth. And lastly, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. We love one another by bearing others' burdens. You can show love to others by, by taking on what's weighing them down, by, by saying, let me, let me help you. Let me pray with you. Doing this reduces the load that they have to bear and helps them through their trials. And I found that helpful in just some of the very practical ways that we can love one another. And we can see from this that biblical love is a sacrificial love. It's choosing to do good to others, seeking their well-being and putting them before ourselves. And when we reflect, when I was thinking about this list of, of practical ways that we love one another, most importantly, love requires that we're around people, <laughs> in the room with them, face to face and heart to heart. And I can think no better place for this than in being in a community group or being in running partners. Now, I'm very mindful that there are a lot of factors for people that can affect their ability to be around people. And my prayer is that God would give you and I grace to find those smaller circles of meaningful connection with people where we can love and be loved. So right through the New Testament is a significant theme of loving God and loving one another. It started with what Jesus had said, and later through all, even through the letters to the young churches that were needing to be strengthened. There's a summary that I think would just summarize all the things that we looked at this morning in three simple verses. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. Love one another earnestly with a pure heart. And keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And I'll finish with a quote from American pastor and author John Piper, who I think sums this up really well. What matters is a love that can only be explained by the supernatural work of God. That's the love that ensures us that we're born of God and that the love that will cause those in the world to see and give glory to our Father in heaven. I long to live like that. I long for our church to live like that. There's nothing more thrilling than experiencing the love of God so deeply that it spills over into our relationships. Being so deeply transformed by the love of God within that we live the supernatural love of God without. I can think of no better thing for us to collectively as a family of church followers to give ourselves to, but to love God and to love one another deeply. I know that that is already expressed among us. And by us talking about these things, we're only just blowing upon and even adding more to the love that we have for one another and for God. And also to let that love move us to acts of loving kindness to the world around us. If you're able to stand, I'd like to, to pray for us and the band can come and then I'll pass it over to Vince and Tim.
Father, this morning, I so want to thank you for your love. God, I so want to thank you that you keep echoing and keep repeating and repeating. It's your exclamation mark from heaven that says, this all starts with the love the Father has for us. This all starts with the love he demonstrated with Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning for anyone here that's been battling the storms of their heart. I pray that you would touch their hearts right now with a revelation of your love. That you would bring blue skies to their hearts to know that they can come to you whatever their heart feels. And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would fill and flood our hearts with that perfect love that you had between the Father and Son. And then I ask with that fullness of love, I pray that you would help us in real and practical ways to love one another more, Lord God, even deeper, Lord God. That, Lord, that as we do that, that the world in Lowestoft, the world around us, the world in, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, would see this love and go, what is it about you that you love so much? What do I need to do to receive that love? And I pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for that quality in us already. But, Lord, I ask for more. I ask for more of your spirit. We ask for more of your love. If it comes from your spirit, Lord, give us more of your spirit that we can have more of your love so that we can demonstrate it more to those around us and help us in those times when we feel like we fall short. It just shows us how much desperately we need more of you. In Jesus' name I pray.